Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Let me just share a a, a brief uh, message with you this morning as we're at a pivotal moment. We're finishing up 2023. We're looking ahead to a new year. And at midnight tonight, as we turn the page for some here, the future's bright. You have expectations of what this new year holds and and, uh, and it's an exciting time. But maybe for others, perhaps it doesn't seem so bright. Perhaps the future is a little more daunting. Uh, perhaps you're in a painful season, and as you look ahead, you're struggling to find a, a sense of hope or to see how this next year is going to be any different or any better. I was reading a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's actually a, an Old Testament prophet. His name is Habakkuk. Can you imagine having a name like that? Habakkuk. And, uh, but I was reading, as I'm finishing up uh, my, my, my reading plan, I was reading in Habakkuk chapter 3, and I was reminded of these words in verses 17 and 18, when the prophet wrote this, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, He says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Now, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting, isn't it? It is, but think about the beginning part of that. Habakkuk was living during a time where, where things were not great economically. It was, a, it was a hard time in Israel at, at this point in time. There was deep spiritual decline. Enemies were threatening invasion in the land. The people had turned to idol worship, and so they were no longer worshiping Jehovah God. Things seemed hopeless, and he kind of, he, he kind of shares this here. In fact, the whole, when you're reading through, you you see that he's having a conversation with God that includes a lot of why questions. Have you ever had a conversation with God that includes why questions? Why is this happening? Why did you allow this? Why is this so bad? Why, anybody had those conversations before? Come on, I know I'm not alone. And so the prophet's having these conversations, but he gets to this point where he's sharing about the reality that he's living in. And, 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 and he says, listen, <laughs> there, there is, there's no, there, though the fig tree does not bud, there, there's, no, there's no figs on the fig tree. There's no grapes on the vine. There's no olive crop. It fails. There, there's no food. There's no sheep. There's no cattle. Basically, he said, man, economically, things are bad. There are a lot of things that are just going bad. I mean, there is no food in the fridge. And, and, and there's no bonus coming this Christmas. You know, at the end of the year, I'm not even sure where the next paycheck's coming from. Things are bad. But in the middle of it, in the middle of it, there is a, a, a three-letter conjunction word that all of a sudden gives way to hope. And that three-little conjunction word that arrested my attention when I was reading through those verses as I stopped is the word, Yet. Yet, have you thought about that word yet? 
There's something important about that little word, yet. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that anything within the circumstances of, of this guy is changing. Nothing seems to be changing in Habakkuk's life. When he looks at the reality of the situation, it's bad. But he puts this little word in there, yet, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. I'll rejoice in the Lord. It's not the only place we see this little word yet. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 25, Paul writes this, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. We wait for it patiently. Do not yet have. Do you know that hope or yet is a hope-filled word? Yet is a hope-filled word. Word. Someone may ask you, you might be out of a job, they may ask you, have you found a job? You can respond, you know what? No, I, I haven't found a job. I, I, I just, I haven't found a job. Or you can say, I haven't found a job yet. You can go to the doctor because you're not feeling well and somebody says, how are you feeling? You know, I'm not feeling good. You know what? I'm, I'm still pretty sick. I, things are still not, not good. Or you can say, <laughs> no, I haven't been healed Yet. There's something powerful about the word yet. And I want to encourage you that as we finish up 2023 and as we look towards 2024, I felt from the Lord that the best is yet to come. That 2023 might not have been a good time, might not have been a good year, but friends, that doesn't end and continue on. The best is yet to come. When the Lord is in it, the best is yet to come. And I want you to encourage you with that. This morning, we're going to look at a, a, a popular passage of Scripture. In fact, it's the first miracle that Jesus ever did in John chapter 2. And I want to kind of unpack that a little bit because there's a situation that happens. And it's kind of a, a cultural situation. It's kind of a, a, a situation that would have embarrassed a, a particular family. They were having a celebration, a wedding celebration. Some of you tonight, you're going to celebrate tonight. You have parties to go to and there's going to be celebrations and there's going to be all kinds of things happening tonight as we turn the calendar over to a new year. Well, this was a wedding celebration and, 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 and it was, a, it was a, a, supposed to be a hope-filled time, a great time. This couple looking forward to what happening, but something begins to, to go drastically wrong in their preparations. They run out of something. But in this, Jesus and his mother Mary and Jesus and his disciples have been invited to this wedding. And I want to kind of look at this because it, it, it happens in a small town called Cana in a region known as Galilee. A small town in Cana. Cana was a, a town that nobody even knew was around. They didn't know much about it. They, uh, historians had to really kind of look up this inconspicuous town that was just on the outside of Nazareth. It had no social prominence. It took about 1,800 years because they, before they could even figure out where the town was. And, and again, there's this new couple starting this life together. But again, here's the problem. So let's look at John chapter 2 and start in verse 1. And I'm going to read. It's a, long, a little longer story, but I want to read the story in full. And then we're going to break it down as we go through. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana at Gal in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. 
His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for Jews in ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then they called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Somebody say, the best is yet to come. Come on, the best is yet to come. And it says here, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. There was something about this miracle that inspired faith, inspired faith in his disciples, inspired faith in people. But it also says that this was a sign. It was a sign. You know what a sign is? A sign in scripture is, is it, it, it's when a, a miracle, it's a miracle that is to teach us a lesson. A sign is a miracle that is to teach us a lesson. This, the, word, the Greek word for sign is semeia, or S-E-M-E-I-A. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a miracle performed to teach us something. So what is Jesus trying to teach us through this miracle? What does Jesus want to teach us through this miracle? Well, I think Jesus wants to bring transformation in our lives because the best is yet to come. And I want to share with you how four ways that Jesus wants to bring transformation in our lives. Here's the first one. How many know our emptiness equals God's opportunity? Our emptiness equals God's opportunity. One of the first things I notice is the bridegroom and his family They've got a problem. They're running out of something. They're running out of the wine. Understand that socially for them, this would have brought shame on their entire family. This hospitality was a big deal. Hospitality was a huge deal in this culture. And so if your family here in this little town did not prepare properly, did not have enough to sustain, and weddings weren't just one day, the celebrations weren't one day. Do you know how many days wedding ceremonies or celebrations? were seven days a week-long celebration when you were getting married it was a week-long celebration and wine represents joy it, it is to represent the joy of the celebration but the joy had run out the joy had run out the the, the wine had run out they were there was something that was empty God always saves the best wine for redemptive stories friends John 2, 3, and 4, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And he says, woman, why do you involve me? If I ever called my mother woman, I think something would happen. <laughs> Just saying. And Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. I just love moms. Man, somehow Mary just knew that in this situation, man, if, if there was emptiness, Jesus could fill it. Mary knew something. If there was emptiness, Jesus had an opportunity to bring the filling that was needed. Mary was perhaps helping the master of the banquet by hosting this party. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because when she calls the servants over, they listen to her. They listen to her. 
All right, either she was a very influential person or she had something to do with the hosting where she was aware that there was the problem that was happening in the banquet. There was a problem that was going on. And later in the story, as we read it, they call the bridegroom aside and they say, wait a minute, you say the best, the, the best wine for last. You don't, it means that they were somewhat unaware of what was going on, but Mary was aware of what was going on, that there was an emptiness that was taking place. There was an emptiness, but she also knew that in her son's Jesus and emptiness meant an opportunity for God to do a miracle. If you are feeling empty this morning, if there is something happening in your life where we are feeling drained and you are feeling down and you are feeling empty, and as you approach this new year, you're doing so like, I don't know if there's much to this. What can I do? Let me tell you something. When you're feeling empty, that's a great place to be because when you come to Jesus, it's an opportunity for him to fill your emptiness. It's an opportunity for a miracle. She knew that emptiness equals God's opportunity. And so she said to the servants in verse five, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Mary's response comes out, seems a little bit disjointed. Again, she, she, Jesus says that my time has not yet come. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. Why? Because she knew that what was empty, Jesus could fill again. And that's what he does. Jesus takes the empty. He takes the things that, that when we're running out of faith, when we're running out of hope, when we're running out of joy, we can run to Jesus and he fills us up, friends. He fills us up. Jesus steps in to redeem and Jesus steps in to change. And when you're at the end of your, when you're at the end of yourself, that's a good place to be. Jesus says, I've saved the best for last. Before he wrote the Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, he uh, had coined a little phrase called eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe. And uh, according to Tolkien, a eucatastrophe in a story often happens at the darkest moment. At the market moment when things are, are darkest. When he says this, when all seems lost, when the enemy seems to have won, all of a sudden there's a joyous turn. He calls that joyous turn uh, eucatastrophe. He said it delivers deep emotional reaction in readers, a catch of breath, a beat, a lifting of the heart, a good catastrophe. Friends, this was a eucatastrophe. This was a time in their lives when, when all of a sudden uh, it seemed hopeless and the wine had run out. But Jesus steps in in the darkest moments and he turns it around. That's what Jesus does. Your emptiness equals God's opportunity. Second, Jesus always uses what's available. Jesus always uses what's available. Look at verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. These six stone water jars were not traditionally what you would use if you were serving wine. They were used by uh, the Jews for the ceremonial washing. So when you would come to the wedding or come to the party, this was the water that was poured on your hands or to wash your feet. This signified the purity and the washing in a very dust-filled culture. This is what, what that represented. But Jesus says, you know what? That's what's available. Go and get the six stone water jars. And you know what else is available? Water's available. We don't have any wine, but we have water. Go ahead and fill it up with water. Jesus uses what's available. I mean, think about some of the stories 
when Jesus told his disciples there was a large crowd and they were hungry, 5,000 plus people were there and they were hungry and Jesus said to them, feed them. They said, we don't have any, how are we going to find food? Where are we going to find money to buy all of this food? John chapter six, where are we going to have money to buy all this food? And a little boy, somebody found a little boy, Andrew found a little boy, five loaves and two fish. He said, well, what's good is five loaves and two fish among so many. And how many know what happened, right? Jesus multiplied it. And he not only fed the 5,000, but there were 12 basketfuls that were left over. Jesus doesn't need a lot to work, friends. He just needs a little. He, he just needs what's available. He just needs what's available. He, he doesn't need a lot. He just, he just needs what's available. Perhaps you're thinking, you know what? I don't have a whole lot to offer. My, my 2023 isn't a whole lot. My bank account's about empty. My energy's about empty. My emotions are about on empty. I don't have much relational capital. I don't know how much to give. You give Jesus what you have. You give him yourself and he will fill you up. Jesus uses what's available. Jesus is looking for vessels that he can use, vessels that he can move in. Jesus uses what's available. You don't have to have a whole lot because when you're empty, it's God's opportunity. Just bring to Jesus what you have. They had six stone water jars used for a different purpose. But the thing was, these water jars were empty, so they were available. Bring to Jesus what's available. Bring to Jesus what's available. It was what was on hand. And let me tell you what Jesus does with it. Jesus transforms it. Jesus transforms it. He transforms it. What they had, they had water. They had water. That's what they had. But Jesus transformed the water. He transformed the water. He transformed the molecular structure of the water. He, 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 it wasn't about what was on the outside. It wasn't about the resources on the outside. It was about the change that Jesus wanted to do on the inside. Did you see that? Six stone water jars, fill it up. Again, they were not used for, they were used for cleansing. They were not used for wine. But Jesus symbolically shows us that, that purity and holiness and true joy comes not from a change of your outward circumstances, but comes from a change in your heart and in your soul. They come from a change in your heart and your soul. Friends, for hopes that perhaps the, the miracle that you really need is a miracle of the change in your heart and in your soul. Perhaps it's not a change in your circumstances. Perhaps your circumstances are leading you to Jesus so that he can make a true change inside of you. So he can leave, he, he, he can, he can make a change inside of you. The water jars were the, 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 the washing jars, the stone jars were empty. Jesus said, fill it up. They filled it up. And then what did he do? He changed the molecular structure of that water inside. He changed that structure inside. You bring Jesus your empty vessel. You bring Jesus what's available you. You bring him your emptiness. You bring him what you don't have. And you let him fill you up. And you let him transform you on the inside out. That's the miracle he wants to bring. Pope Francis said this once. God always seeks out the peripheries, those who have run out of wine, those who drink only of discouragement. Jesus feels their weakness in order to pour out the best wines for those who, for whatever reason, feel that all their jars have been broken. Maybe that's you. You just feel like all your jars have been broken. Let me tell you something. Jesus wants to bring transformation in you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Friends, like the wine that was best, so the work in Jesus' life is best. Friends, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. 
Number three, Jesus shows his power to those who serve and are willing to look foolish. Those who serve and are willing to look foolish. Let's read verses 7 to 9. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. To the brim. You might want to underline that, highlight that. Then he told them, now draw out some, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew. We have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. Uh, we have the benefit of, uh, we read this and we have the benefit of knowing what happens. We know the good catastrophe that happens, the catastrophe. We know that Jesus turned things around, but I want you to take a moment to step back and pretend that you didn't know. Pretend you're the servants, okay? You're the servants in this, this culture. There's the master of the banquet. You're the servants. And, uh, and basically, he's your boss, all right? He's your boss. They've run out of wine. Mary, this person who's helping out with the banquet, says, you know what? Uh, my son Jesus can help. Just do what he says. And he, does, he, he says something ludicrous. He says, well, you see those stone, those stone water pots over there, 20, 30 gallons? They're empty right now. But go ahead and fill them and fill them with water. So they do, they fill it with water. And then he says to them, now you, not me, not me, you, you servants, not me, you, you dip, dip some out. And I want you to take it to your boss and let him drink. Wait a minute, that's water we put in there, right? What are we running out of? Somebody help me. What are we running out of? Wine. We're running out of wine, right? What do they need? Wine. What do they fill the water pots with? Water. Take some out and give it to the mouth. Ah, come on now. I don't know about that. There is nothing that we read in here that they tasted a little first, just to make sure, by the way. <laughs> right? I mean, later on, when the master of the banquet realizes that it's wine, and the water been turned into wine, they, they, they know, man, we put water in there, not wine. It doesn't say they tasted it first. You got to put yourself in their position. What Jesus was asking them to do could have been a nightmare for them. It could have resulted in a firing or something worse. Jesus was saying, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to take a step of faith and do something foolish. But it was that step of faith that resulted in the miracle. Friends, there are some steps of obedience and steps of faith that to you and I, when we look in God's word compared to what our culture says to do or how our culture says to fix a problem or what our culture says to do for your marriage. And you say what Jesus says to do for your marriage. You say, I don't, I can't do that. Our culture says for your emotional health, you need to forgive. And you go, I can't forgive. That seems foolish. How am I going to do that? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Sometimes the miracle happens when we're willing to take steps of obedience that make us look foolish. But in the end it turns it around into a miracle it's a miracle they 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 didn't know what they were doing this is a, a real step of faith but let me tell you something about the servants when he said to fill the, the 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 20 to 30 gallons up with water he said just fill it up with water but what did they fill how did they fill it up i think their faith started before they even dipped some out and they took it to the master of the bank remember this is jesus first miracle he hasn't raised anybody from the dead yet okay he hasn't healed anybody yet jesus hasn't done anything yet there was no previous miracles that would cause these servants to go oh yeah that's that guy that does the miracles he opens the eyes of the blind oh yeah that layman he had him walk again there is nothing up to this point where they would have any reason to have faith in what Jesus says that he can do this. Yet, yet, when he said to fill it up, what does it say? Fill it up to the 
They filled it up to the brim. They showed a step of faith before they ever took some out and gave it to the master. They didn't just fill it up just a little bit. They didn't put it halfway. They didn't put it three quarters of the way. They filled it up to the brim. They were willing to take a step of faith. They were willing to go all the way. They were willing to look foolish. And as a result, they experienced a miracle. The best is yet to come. I believe the best is yet to come, but there are some of you that Jesus is asking you to take some steps of obedience that seem foolish. He's asking you to go all in. He's saying, I don't want you just to go partway. 2023, maybe you took, a, you dipped a little bit of your foot, toe in the water. I'm asking you to go all in with me. Maybe you, maybe you got a little bit into your waist and your knees. You got a little scared. You backed off. Jesus says, I want you to go all in with me. I want you to go all in with me. I want you to obey me. I want you to take the steps of obedience. I want you to follow me by faith because friends, that's where the miracle comes in. That's where the miracle happens. The miracle comes to those who are willing to obey him fully. Pastor Joel Schmidgall says this, there are moments in faith where you have to do the ridiculous so that you can see the miraculous. There are moments in faith where you have to do the ridiculous to see the miraculous. Mm, some of you are getting this. Finally, number four, and worship team, you can come because I'm going to go through this quickly. The miracle would not have been possible. I'm going to back all the way up to the beginning of the story, friends. The miracle would not have been possible if Jesus and his disciples had not been invited to the wedding. John 2.2, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Listen, Jesus also always comes when you invite him. Jesus always comes when you invite him. If you read through the Gospels, one of the things you're going to find is Jesus didn't turn down an invitation. There was an invitation to a party. Jesus didn't turn it down. In fact, one of his own disciples was a tax collector. And uh, Jesus had said, come follow me. And then he later invited Jesus to a party in his home in Matthew 9, 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with he and his disciples. Jesus loves to come when you invite him. When you invite Jesus, Jesus loves to come and be a part of your party. Jesus loves to come and be a part of your dinner. He loves to come and eat with you. Whether it was Pharisees who invited him to come, he came. Whether it was a tax collector like his disciple Matthew that invited him to come. And sometimes he invited himself over like he did Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. He said, I'm going to your house today for tea. We're coming. We're going to have some dinner together. That might not be exactly how the scripture is, but he invited himself back to, to, to his house. Hospitality. Pharisees invited him. There was, a, there was a, a ruler of a synagogue who said, I have a servant that is, I have a daughter that is sick. Will you come? Will you come? Will you come? My daughter's sick. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end. I don't know what to do. But he invited Jesus back to his house to heal his daughter. Friends, Jesus is waiting for an invitation from you. Jesus is waiting for an invitation to you. The miracle and the best that is yet to come begins when you invite Jesus into your heart, when you invite Jesus into your life, when you invite Jesus into your situation. That's what happened with those who were baptized. They invited Jesus into their situation and they're beginning to see what happens when you invite Jesus into your situation and into your life. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Friends, Jesus is inviting you to begin this year, to end 2023 and begin 2024 by inviting him into your life and into your situation. Invite Jesus in because friends, I'm going to tell you, just like in that story, when you feel empty, 
it's God's opportunity for a miracle. When you say, I've got nothing, you just give Him what's available. You say, here it is, this is what I have that's available. You give it to Jesus and you allow Him to transform you. Take a, a step of faith today. You say, that seems foolish, let me tell you. Take a step of faith today and invite Jesus into your situation and watch what happens. Watch what Jesus does when you invite Him in and you say, I'm willing to look foolish for you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you're telling me to do. Oh, I believe the best is yet to come. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.